Alright, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is July 30th, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via video call with Stephen Ferguson, who is in Bloomington, Indiana. Is that correct? That's correct. And we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, uh, when and where were you born? Uh, January 3rd, 1941, actually uh, in Indianapolis, Mm, because it was a complicated birth, and mother went to Indianapolis for that. Interesting, okay. And uh, what were your parents' names? Arlene Ferguson and Luther S. Ferguson. All right. And uh, where was your family from before Indiana? On my father's side, on the Ferguson side, uh, they moved in and homesteaded in Lawrence County in 1816. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wow. We still have the farm that's been in our name for over 200 years. Wow. Uh, Mother was from Peru, Indiana, and they moved in from Canada. Her parents did. Okay. That's interesting. Wow, okay. And uh, what were your parents' occupations? Uh, Dad had various, was a superintendent of schools, a teacher, a principal in Lawrence County, and then went with Scrivener's Publishing Company and was a salesperson, then Western manager, everything west of, of Indiana to the West Coast. Uh, Mother went back to school after my brother and sister were born and got her degree then. Uh, But she did apartment management, uh, was really what she did. She Mm -hmm. was home and um, housewife, mother, and I managed some apartments. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, what understanding did you have of your family's political views as a child? I don't know that I had a particular understanding. I do remember watching the convention. Mm-hmm conventions, you know, at the point they were just beginning to televise, you know, television was, this was early on. Yeah. Um, And we hadn't had TV very long, but I can remember my grandmother and I, my mother's mother, sitting and watching the Republican convention with Eisenhower, when Eisenhower was uh, the candidate. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. Um, I think Dad <clears throat> crossed political lines back and forth with, you know. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Not a Republican, not a Democrat. Um, and when he was county superintendent of schools in Lawrence County, the Township trustees were the ones that selected the superintendent. 
And I, I remember he was supported in that uh, by, uh, or as the story goes, he was supported in that by Democrats. Mm, okay. Uh, of the trustees. So. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And uh, see, how did you like your educational experiences growing up and the schools you went to? I went all the way through preschool, through high school, at university high school in Bloomington. Okay. And then, so I was in one building my entire career until I went to Wabash College. Yeah. Uh, after, after high school. Oh, okay. And what was your major? Uh, political science and economics at Wabash. Okay. Did you uh, start to develop more interest in politics when you were in college? Um, yeah, a little more. Dick Ristine was from Crawfordsville. And so I helped out in his campaign, and then I um, worked one summer, maybe 1961, 62, at any rate, long in there for Bill Bray in Washington, oh, okay. D.C., Congressman Bray. Yeah. Wow. Who happens to be the grandfather of the current pro tem in the Senate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's interesting. And, uh, how did you view your college experiences? Well, I, I think that uh, I viewed them more as, uh, you know, now things have changed. I think there is cycles in, in it, but right now, um, there's an awful lot of uh, of uh, controversy mm. and pushback and emotion rather than reason. Okay. Uh, in my experience in the General Assembly, everybody knew what we needed to get done. We all worked to that end. Now there might be points that people needed to make to because of their particular background or the fact they were Democrat or Republican. But everybody knew where we needed to get to and, and work to accomplish that. Oh, okay. I, and it's hard to see that today as much as it did back uh, back then. You know. Yeah. Okay. And um, that's interesting. So, yeah, I would like to talk about that a little bit more a little later. Um, in terms of your time at the university, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do after college? Um, no, we'd had the farms in Lawrence County, and that's really where I spent most of my time and spent all my summers Yeah, down there and uh, vacation time and weekends, uh, staying down there with my aunts and, and the family still on the farm. Um, so when I got out of, I really went to Wabash um, thinking I'd go to Wabash and then get a master's in agriculture at Purdue yeah. from farm. So that was really where I set out to, to uh, 
that was my career plan at that point in time. Um, as it turned out, um, prices, especially cattle prices, were so low when I graduated from college that wasn't really a practical mm, okay. uh, thing. Although my wife uh, and I had, were both thought, well, we would teach, which works well because you got the summers free to farm, and that, so that was sort of our our goal. Went through interviews uh, with various school corporations, um, but then decided because I decided where I wanted to live. I always thought, well, I need to be smart enough to to do that, and spent a summer in D.C. And, done, and had done other things. Um, so I knew that I wanted to live in the Bloomington area, a good place to raise kids, um, close to the farm. I liked being outside. Uh, so I could do that. Uh, we got Big Ten sports here, and et cetera, and so I knew I wanted to live in Bloomington. Yeah. It was a question to figure out. Uh, what occupation I would do. My brother was an attorney here, and so I finally decided to go to law school oh, okay. and work with him. So that's how I ended up going to law school and yeah. practicing law in Bloomington. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, so when did you first start thinking about uh, running for the Indiana General Assembly? Um, it was at my brother's house after an IU football game. Okay. And there were two people from Bedford, Bob Short, who was an attorney down there, and, and uh, with the uh, savings and loan, Bedford Federal, and Bob Skinner, who was a... Uh, had been a prosecuting attorney in practice law, etc. And so Bob was saying, what you need to do is run for office and get known if you're going to practice law. And uh, Bob Short was on the other side saying that, uh, that that wasn't necessary, entry into the practice of law. Uh, and I was saying, I've got no interest in running for office. Mm, okay. And so that was... That was the conversation, and <clears throat> that's in November. In February, about the time of the filing, uh, Bob Skinner came to Bloomington and said, "It's a this is a joint district in, for Brown, Lawrence, and Monroe County, and you know you've got a lot of connections in." Uh, Lawrence County because of the farm and in Bloomington and <clears throat> there's also a candidate from uh, Bedford who had been there, Maurice Chase who had been in the legislature back before and so we'd like for the two of you to be the candidates uh, one from Lawrence County and one from Monroe County uh, because there were two Democratic incumbents so it was um, so that, that, at that point in time, I said, no, I'm still, I'm not interested mm -hmm. in running. Um, so my, that led on to my aunt was in Bloomington visiting 
uh, and staying with us um, from down in Lawrence County. And she had been in politics in terms of being a vice chairman of the, of the Republican Party in Lawrence County. At any rate, my brother came by and said they're having a, uh, a Republican meeting down at the Republican headquarters. You want to ride along? I said, sure, I just ride along. I went, uh, we walked in the front door, and the county chairman came up and said, Jim, we want you to run for uh, judge. And Jim said, well, I can't do that because my brother's running for the legislature. Mm. And I looked at him and said, Jim, I'm not running for the legislature. And about that time, it was Carl Myers was the chairman, and there must have been 100 people there. He turned around and said, oh, here's our candidate for the legislature. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got into running for the legislature. Wow, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> and so... When you started running, uh, were there any particular things you wanted to focus your campaign on? Any particular legislative issues at all? Or um, I suppose that my interest in the legislature are really on policy issues. Yeah. If you look back, I don't know whether you look back at the period when I was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was there were only 22 Republicans in the House of Representatives after the Goldwater election. Yeah. And then when I was elected, there were probably 58 or something in that that neighborhood. So there'd been a tremendous swing. Um, the thing that it had done had really uh, defeated most of the old time incumbents. So people that were elected were coming in like John Mutz and Bill Ruckelhouse and Larry Borst and a long list of, of young uh, who had a new approach. Of course, I was, I was what, 21 years old. Yeah. So I'm not quite as old, as senior as they are uh, coming in. But it was really a good group of people that were interested in, not in politics, but in, and when they got elected again was secondary. Mm, okay. And so they came in with a lot of ideas. And if you look back at what we did, of course, Unigov is one of the most famous. Yeah. <clears throat> but we went to biannual from single sessions. Uh, biannual to annual sessions of the legislature. We took the Supreme Court out of politics. Um, uh, the list goes on. Goes on. We changed the election time. We uh, we did a tremendous amount of reforms. In you know, one of the things when you look at California, and Illinois, is they didn't clean up their pension situation. And that's got them in bankruptcy, but we cleaned it up then. Now, the police and fire pension, <clears throat> we went through the fight, and we didn't get it done while I was there, but then <clears throat> it was done subsequent. But the state employee retirement and things were all made physically sound, yeah. uh, which has helped, had a tremendous impact. We passed uh, bills to fund... A study, which was a neat study of the next 20 years and the needs of our roads and highways. 
And so we we adopted that with the um, the primary road system, uh, and we funded it. First time the gas tax has been raised since the thir- 30s. Uh, so we funded that, looking forward to the need for transportation and, and highways within the state, and uh, that was both local and uh, state highways. Right. Uh, I could go on through the list, but if you look back at the list of what was accomplished during that period, it, it's probably no other time in history has that yeah, all been Yeah, there's a lot. There was definitely a lot that was done, for sure. Um, let's see. So, what was your first reaction when you officially became elected? What was your reaction to election day? Um, well, obviously you're satisfied and you wanted to thank everybody who had helped you yeah. get there. I, I really worked it hard. I shook a lot of hands. I carried, um, I always bought 5,000 emery boards and 5,000 pencils. <laughs> on the theory that women won't throw an emery board away and men won't throw a pencil away. <laughs> and so then, but I'd measure how hard I worked by how many I'd given out. Mm-hmm. So I gave them out to people. And I still have people uh, and kids come back and say, hey, my uh, grandfather died and he had this in his drawer, which was a yeah. pencil or an emery board. They keep, they still show up, you know, here all these years later. Uh, and and so that that was the way I approached it. But I just had a lot of people to express my appreciation to, and, and uh, thanks. You know. Yeah, sure. That's interesting. Um, so, what was your reaction to walking into the state house as your uh, as in your first day as an elected official? Well, I actually missed the first day. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just swearing in because my son was born on that day. Ah, okay. Well, that's a good reason. And so I, I was at the Bloomington Hospital waiting on uh, the birth of my son. So I, I wasn't there for the traditional first day of the session and, and swearing in. Yeah. Um, I think that obviously there's a, a, a tremendous sense of responsibility that you feel. When you walk in there the first time, you know, I, I've got a lot of responsibility to the whole state of Indiana and to the constituency. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's probably the thing that was um, the most. Uh, and then secondly, I don't know a damn thing about, you know, the ins and outs. I know a lot about government. I know a lot of things, but yeah, it's different. And because the legislature is a relationship organization, and uh, so you're you're coming in uh, new and just meeting people for the first time. Now there were uh, people there that had been in law school with my brother and other connections like that. Yeah, that sort of gave you um, an immediate something to talk about. And yeah helped in that relationship building. Yeah, that makes sense. 
what were your expectations for the legislative process, and was it more or less what you expected? Well, I paid attention. I, I think I, I guess I was really pleased because there were a lot of people there that wanted to do the right thing and weren't interested in getting reelected. Yeah, and were bright, young enthusiastic uh, about what we could do. And so I think I, I found that really, uh, I don't know, really uh, appealed to you, but it sort of gave you that uh, sense of we're on the same wavelength, same team. We're, we're going to work our way through a lot of these issues. I'd felt strongly about the Supreme Court being out of politics because there was a judge that uh, my wife's family knew from Anderson uh, who got beat because of a decision he wrote that the ISTA didn't agree with. Mm, okay. And they went out and campaigned against him and beat him. And I felt strongly that our judiciary should not be subject to worrying about what politics were. So I was really... Uh, into that constitutional amendment. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And several of the others. You know, I, I felt over the course of time you learn that 61 calendar days is a horrific time to get things done. Yeah. And to move them through. And so I felt strong about the biannual sessions. And if you just look back at the constitutional amendments, we we passed back then, yeah, I, I, those were all things that I thought needed to be done. The governor needed to succeed himself one term, you're a lame duck when you're elected. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really important. Uh, I thought UNIGOV was important. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, would like, I would like to have seen uh, similar things across the state of Indiana. I, I even had a bill that said trying to get local units of government to do it themselves, it said that you could contract with another unit of government without having a complicated structure to deliver any service. And I had really thought, well, then maybe we can get, rather than having every town have their own highway department, every city and the county, et cetera, that you could enter into an agreement, okay, this is the way you're going to do one snow removal, one county mm -hmm. maintenance, rather than having all these separate entities doing that. That that idea, I thought was a good idea. I still think it's a good idea, but it didn't work out. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, how did you communicate and interact with your constituents? Well. See, I, I lived in Bloomington. I felt like one of the things that happens to you when you're in the legislature, you get to talking to yourselves all the time, and so you begin to believe what you're hearing. Okay. <laughs> and so I felt like it was important to get back home and do that. So I drove back and forth. Of course, I had young kids, and it gave me an opportunity to do it. So I, I drove back and forth, and being young, you know, you can be up late and get up early and it doesn't have much effect yeah. on you. 
And then if I had something I needed to do with the laws, I could also do that. So I drove back and forth, um, trying to keep as much contact as I could uh, back with the, you know, where I thought people were, uh, they weren't caught up in the conversations. You yeah. know, they, they gave you a different, uh, a different view. And then uh, the, you always have those Saturday morning sessions uh, where constituents can come in and you have the legislators from the area. Yeah. Um, and then you get uh, you get a lot of mail and phone calls. They talk to people about what their concerns are. A lot of times uh, when they call, they're... By the time they've gotten to the point they're going to call you, they've really got themselves worked up, especially <laughs> if it's somebody you don't know. So they're, yeah. you know, and when they first call you, they're just dumping okay. all their ideas on it. And you got to let them just talk until they don't have anything else to say. Yeah. And then you can have a discussion with them. Okay. But you just got to let them get it off their chest. Yeah. <laughs> and get to the point where all of a sudden they're sort of silenced because they've run out of things to say. And then you can have a conversation yeah. about whatever the issue is. Right. I think, I've always, you know, there are certain emotional issues that you, you just aren't going to be able to talk to people about. You know, alcohol. Mm-hmm. For those that are opposed to alcohol, there's yeah. no conversation about that. And we, <coughs> we changed the rules are like on Lake Monroe. Uh, you can have an alcoholic beverage license in a rural area if you have so much food. Up until then, you, you, alcoholic beverages could only be sold within city limits. Yeah. But this allowed, if you had a, over 300,000, I think it was, in food, then you could have a license outside the city. <coughs> Trying to get away from the old concept of roadhouses. Um, and then we also changed... So, in fact, you could have, uh, you could do leases on state ground. So, like the four the four winds on Lake Monroe, they could build that facility under lease with the state and also allow them to have liquor on those. Now, something like that is an emotional item. And, yeah. I mean, I'd come in, I had a pile of mail who was just people... Uh, opposed to to that, um, okay. <laughs> but but I thought that it was something to do. Maurice Chase, who was also from the district, was you know they participated in the TCU, you know, against alcohol, and so it was really hard for him. But he thought it was the right thing to do, and I kept saying, Maurice, just let me do it. You know, <laughs> just you know, he could already go to church for people. Uh, a cussing, you know, sure. wanting about it. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that you have to interact, but uh, you need to make sure you're talking to everybody and give them a place that they feel like they can go and at least be heard. You know? Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. I'm sure it also takes... Uh, you get used to it after a while when you're dealing with people all the time, especially people that are angry about something that they want changed in law. And... Oh, yeah. Um, what would you say the interactions were like between Democrats and Republicans while you're serving? 
Between Democrats and Republicans? Yeah. Back then? Oh, a good relationship. Uh, Fred Bauer, who's a minority leader, great guy, good yeah. friend of mine. Buzz Barker from up of Attica, great guy. Jimmy Plaskett for down on the river down in Clark County, a great guy, good friend. Um, and we all knew what he'd done. The other thing that you didn't, that was enormous in the change during that period was moving really state education to be supported from the state rather than from local property taxes. Yeah. And it was set up out of the structure so that everybody had a $2 base at that point in time. That's the way taxes were figured. Mm-hmm. So that raised whatever money and then whatever public would be paid by the state. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we, we increased the sales tax, put in the income tax. Um, of course, I've talked about the fees. So we completely switched the way government was funded in the state of Indiana and how education was funded in, in Indiana. So that, that, but that was an enormous issue because um, Dick Ristine had broke the tie. The Democrats had set it up in whatever it was, the 61 session. <coughs> so there was a tie and the lieutenant governor had to break the tie. And, and that was instituting the sales tax. Well, they just pounded him on it, sort of like when George uh, Bush Sr., uh, you know, switched on the tax issue. Right. It was, you read my list of tax increases. Then they just pounded him after that yeah. with that issue, and it really got beat. Well, they did the same thing to Ristine uh, prior to that. So... Uh, overall, the Democrats thought this needed to be done, uh, but we didn't have enough Republican votes to pass it. So, Buzz Barker, Jimmy Plaskett, and there were about four Democrats who came over and voted for it, even though the Democratic caucus was against it. They knew we had we had to have the votes to get it passed, and it needed to be done. And so that it was more. Uh, more of what we need to get done. It wasn't this emotional clash, you guys are bad guys and more good, and sort of that no Republican's good, or if you're a Trump supporter, you're an idiot, and you know, you're off the page, and if you're on the left over there, you're communist, you know, all those type things weren't around in the Indiana General Assembly now. But the Indiana General Assembly is not, you know, as divided as the national right yeah that's true yeah different levels yeah no that was a that was a good answer yes um i guess uh sort of pigging back off of that um so do you know what do you think has changed then with uh indiana general assembly politics like why is it more divided today than before well you see, back then you'd work together, you know, like on the gas tax, the income, you know, property tax, on the constitutional amendments, etc. And there were a lot of things uh, <clears throat> until you worked together to accomplish them, you know. And so, like, <coughs> I mentioned the 
1875 bill, which was the uh, change in the alcoholic beverage so you could build in the state parks, etc. Everybody worked together to do that. Now, right. there might be people who are against alcoholic beverages, but they might be on Democrat or Republican. It was on the issue as opposed to the fact that it was Republican or Democrat. Yeah. Uh, I think what's changed over the years, and a story that Senator By told me, <coughs> Birch By, because um, I got to know him, and, and, yeah. and uh, we, we were good good friends, and he was telling me one day when we were talking about the same subject, he said, you know, because uh, he sponsored more changes to the U.S. Constitution than anybody except the, the original uh, writers of the Constitution. He had yeah. more impact because of all, all the amendments, you know, etc. But at any rate, he, he was saying Everett Dirksen was in the leadership in the U.S. Senate at that point. He said, I saw him one day, and he said, how's your election going? And Bert said, well, you know, it's only, these things are always tight, you know, being from Indiana. And he said, well, you let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. Which is entirely different now. Yes. It's winner take all. And the other thing, see, they've changed. On the national level, they've changed uh, the ordinary course where a bill's introduced, it goes to the committee, it's amended, you have discussions in that, you have changes, give and take on amendments, it comes to the floor, you offer amendments there. And so it's, you know, it's more a legislative process. Now, anything of any importance comes directly from the speaker mm-hmm. and goes through, or it comes from the pro tem. And they cut off debate. So they set the rules that you can't make amendments to them. Hmm. And I've been in D.C. at times and where there, it was a highway bill or something, but anyway, where there was going to be amendments and everybody was excited. Both sides of the aisle, the staff, because we're actually going to have the opportunity to have a, you know, a debate about it. So yeah. what's happened is it's, it's winner-take-all, and so winning becomes everything. If you're in the minority, you've got no say, you can't do anything, and if you're in the majority, you control it. And so being in the majority is... is so then the moderates can't move back and forth because of, if they're in the minority, well, then I can't do anything. And right. so that, that's what's created. Now, I think that's... Somewhat's happened in Indiana, and when I left in 75, I was feeling more and more uh, people were concerned about getting reelected than yeah. doing what needed to be done. And I think, uh, I think that, uh, that that concern about reelection rather than let's do what's right and then elections will go where they go. Yeah, okay. Has changed things, and I. I think it makes it much more uh, personal and at stake, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's no longer just about trying to make the state better, but it's about having sort of power, I guess, and keeping that power. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Um, 
How influential would you say party leadership uh, was in your time in the General Assembly at sort of dictating affairs and... and Well, I, I think um, when I was first elected, the chairman of the Republican Party in Marion County was very influential. Okay. Because there, it was a countywide election, and I think there were 11 legislators from that county. And so the ability of the party to control the primary election, et cetera, had a lot of influence. Um, however, Keith Buon was very much for Unigov and etc. And so he he was pretty much um, on the reform movement too. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say later the Republican Party uh, statewide really didn't have much influence at all. Um, so. I'd say very little influence. Okay, that's interesting, uh, yeah. Um, you've talked, you mentioned Unigov several times now. Um, how big of a role would you say that you had in, in helping craft Unigov or getting it passed? How big a role did I have? Yeah. Well, I don't know that I had a role in the passage. I thought it was important. Yeah. Uh, we also did the, put money into the first convention center in downtown Indianapolis from the state level. Okay. Uh, and you to go. Now, you know, there's this um, Marion County versus the rest of the state right. issue was very strong back then. Um, I don't know if it's as strong today, but it was very strong. Um, urban rule. Yeah. I, I think my voice was important because I was from the rural saying um, if it's ending nowhere it hurts Bloomington. Yeah. I can't be I Bloomington can't be successful unless our state capital is successful. And so we you know we moved from ending nowhere to where Indianapolis is really a uh, shining star. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look, Detroit and Indianapolis were about the same, and look at look at the difference now. Um, so, I, I was a spokesman for we've got to support this. We've got to have a, a broader concept of ourselves than just it's Marion County versus Bloomington or yeah. rural counties. We need to support that because that's important to us. Yeah. It's not only important to Indianapolis, but it's important to us. And so all of you need to listen to this and be supportive of what they're doing because it helps us. To. Uh, and so I think probably that message uh, helped move things along on what was a very tight vote to get done. Yeah, okay. So I guess just trying to make people understand that the state is connected, the cities are connected, and that, you know, it's important that they're successful to help each other, um, especially Indianapolis and how it affects other places in Indiana. Yeah, that's interesting.
what would you say was the most controversial legislative issue in your time in the assembly? Well, you know, it's rather interesting if you take the decision in Road versus Wade, mm -hmm. and then we drafted the Indiana statute to conform to that one night because a lot of committee meetings met on adjournment. So if you adjourned late, your committee meeting was late. Uh, really no controversy around that. It was, uh, you know, the committee made up of all attorneys were saying they're drafting something that met the standards of, that the Supreme Court set forward. <clears throat> so you might have said, well, you know, that was an emotional issue, but it really, at that point, wasn't. Yeah. Um, I the uh, obviously taxes were an emotional issue. Gas tax had some emotion in it. Yeah. Um, the one that I mentioned, uh, death penalty. You know, the, okay. the courts had ruled about the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, that's an emotional issue that you're either for or you're against it. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's not one that you can talk to people about. <laughs> right. Uh, <coughs> you can have a discussion about. I, I think that was pretty controversial. Uh, <coughs> one of them that was, uh, I talked about legislation on the state bar and the liquor there, that was really controversial, very close votes, gas tax was very, in fact, at that point, you didn't have to have a, fit, a constitutional majority of 51 votes, you could do a majority in the House, and that gas tax came back and passed, not only didn't have 51 votes, but it had a majority of those voting. Um, Interesting story, I'd say, on the... I, I go back to that, I guess, because it sticks in my mind. Um, on allowing the lease of ground in state reservoir properties or state parks to private um, industry to develop and allowing liquor in those... Uh, be sold in those. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was pretty hot because you had the Automotive Society and you had all those groups and the environmentalists all saying you don't want to do that in their state parks and you had everybody who was against liquor. So mm. you had a big, it, it was, uh, and so that was really controversial, very close vote in the House. Uh, Governor Whitcomb vetoed it. Um, after he told me that he would not. Okay. You know, he thought this was a good idea, and et cetera, et cetera. I asked him specifically, I said, I don't want to bring it to the floor if you're going to veto it. I don't want to, it's so controversial, I don't want to put everybody's feet to the fire. So, Ed, are you going to sign? Oh, yeah, I'm going to sign, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, okay. Um, Cal Brand, who was on his staff, uh, who had been a former legislator, so I, uh, and I, I'll never forget this. I'm walking down 
the second floor. Cal comes off the elevator, sheet white, and said, Steve, he vetoed it. And I said, Cal, he said he wouldn't. He said, I know. He vetoed it. Wow. And so, but then the legislature, I think in part because of the fact that the governor had gone back on his word, we actually had more votes to override the veto than we did in the original passage. Interesting, okay. Yeah. That's, wow. To what extent do you think, uh, I guess, how big of a role was money in, in politics when you served at the India General Assembly? Oh, you know, I, if I spent $1,000 on my election, that was a lot. Yeah. So. Buying pencils and emery boards. Yeah. And a few ads. Yeah. You know, it's not, now, it, see, you don't spend much money in the races where there's, there's no contest. It's solid Democrat or solid Republican. Right. Some people may get into a fight in the primary, um, but there's no money spent in those. Yeah. Um, on the federal level, it's sort of like you saw down in Georgia. Mm. How much was spent in Georgia? Yeah. Because it, it was going to decide who controlled. Yeah. And so you spend a lot. And so you'll see a big expenditures in Indiana on some of those, you know, uh, type races. Now, of course, the Senate has such a large Republican majority, it's probably not going to make any difference one way right. or the other, but what really brings the money out is in those races that are for control or have some influence like that, and then unbelievable amount of money spent. I, yeah. you know, I can't believe how much is spent. I can't believe how much is spent in the federal elections. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, it's astounding. So, what you've done is said everybody's got to spend all their time raising money. Mm. And the second thing it does on the congressional level, it gives leadership so much control over them because they've raised so much of the money, the speaker will or the, uh, the pro tem, and so they've got this big pot. Well, if you don't do what they want you to, then you aren't going to get support, or I may fund an opponent for you in the primary. Yeah. And so it, Money, from that standpoint, has gotten to be really important, but it really gives your political leadership um, a lot of leverage in this day and age. Wow, yeah. Jeez. Um, let's see, what would you say the public doesn't know about the Indiana General Assembly and, and how it operates, as well as what they should know? I don't think the general public pays any attention, okay. except if there's a controversial issue, and so I think they know very little about the General Assembly other than the things that may get their attention or that the press picks up so much of what's important now is what the press makes is important. So the press you know, makes a big deal out of it. You know, it's on Fox, it's in the Annapolis Star, it's 
yeah. whatever the, they make a big deal out of, then becomes important to the public. And so I don't think the public really then sees all the other things that go on that are probably more important than these controversial issues that the news media picks up on. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What would you say was your proudest moment as a legislator? I don't Nothing jumps into my mind. That, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. Um, what, in your opinion, is the most important job of the Indiana General Assembly? I think vision is the most important and sometimes the weakest. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's a representative form of government. So you're representing your constituency, but your obligation is to be well informed, understand the issues, and provide leadership to your constituency. And so I, I think oftentimes. Um, people are more listening to what the constituencies say rather than providing leadership to them and saying, hey, you may, you know, maybe we ought to talk about this because this may be uh, more important. Yeah. Uh, it may be the correct view. And so I think it's a responsibility of the General Assembly to provide leadership. Yeah, okay. And leadership are several things. Um, as you know, so there's probably 10 things that are important in leadership, but vision is one of them. And I, I think having that vision, providing it uh, both statewide and to your particular uh, constituents is really important. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Um, what advice would you have uh, for future legislators or current legislators based on your own experiences? Be pragmatic. Yeah. You know, too much, there's too much based on their particular philosophy. Okay. And decisions that way, I think that's both I think that's countrywide. You know, if you're a liberal, you got a certain tunnel vision. Okay. Yeah. You know, and if you're conservative, you got a tunnel vision. Right. And you just need to lay down those tunnels and let's do what needs to be done and be pragmatic about it. Yeah. <coughs> and yeah. And then you know, there's so much right now. If they ask for this, then I need to get this. You know, so there's, and you can, rather than saying, hey, you know what needs to be done here, and let's get together and do it. Right. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, it does seem like there's kind of a wall in between both parties, and uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, how would you summarize your time overall as a state legislator? 
tell me a little more of what you're asking there. Yeah, so... Tell um, me a little clear. Yeah, uh, so, you know, looking back at your time as a state legislator, you know, what, do you, what did you think of your experiences? Uh, I don't know. I've listed a lot of the things, and but there are a lot more I thought are still impactful today. Yeah. Like the pension fund issues, um, funding of education, that still carries over. I think they've uh, made changes that don't make sense. I think the original plan is still better than what they're dealing with doing now. Um, I think looking at what was needed, and I've talked about highways, but it, both in the uh, areas of treatment plants and um, uh, just looking across the landscape of Indiana and trying to say, hey, how can we, how can we improve our state? Yeah. And what's our vision for the future? Um, you could take something like that. Uh, IU had extension centers, but the consolidation of IU and and Purdue and Indianapolis, you know, has been a big deal. And that whole campus out there and developing that campus, mm -hmm. that's, that's a big impact on Indianapolis. The whole thing with the Unigov with the convention center downtown, all those things, uh, and moving, you know, downtowns have to be lived in, and hotels is short-term uh, uh, bringing people downtown. Um, I think if you look at IU and establishing the Indiana Higher Education Commission, um, Setting IU up with regional campuses, you know, like IUPUI and yeah. Fort Wayne and South Bend and Southeast, uh, rather than just extension centers and really saying these are campuses. Um, I think IU Health in <clears throat> taking it just used to be the School of Medicine and saying what we need are to have these in South Bend and Fort Wayne and Wilmington and other uh, locations where you could get a four-year medical degree to try and keep the <clears throat> largest medical school or second largest in the country, but we still need more physicians yeah. and training them in those areas to keep them um, because they'll have a tendency to practice there. Uh, if you go through the list, of things are that are very thoughtful about the future and the vision of Indiana, um, and so I think that that um, I, you know, you ask um, when I look back on that, I guess that's what I'm proud to be part of. <clears throat> been a part of that. Yeah, sure. And help work hard to accomplish that vision in a very, uh, I think, effective way. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was great, yeah. Um, let's see, I guess last question then, uh, 
What would you say is the role of the public when it comes to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, I think the public always needs to have access. And it needs to be able to express themselves. I, I, think, <clears throat> I think one of the things that's happening in this country is that, you know, you, you can't say anything unless you get attacked for it. And you heard a lot of that during the last campaign, but I can't discuss anything because I get attacked. Uh, and in fact, I, there are people who are moving outside the city of Bloomington because they feel like they get attacked all the time <clears throat> for their political views here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the General Assembly has to set the tone on that. They have to show their constituents that you have a reasonable discussion. These attacks that are going on between Democrats and Democrats and Republicans and Democrats in D.C. are ridiculous. But that sets the tone for the whole country. Yeah. And so, and the way we can discuss things, and I think the General Assembly has to be both the vision, but they also have to demonstrate how we work together in government. Right. And that helps and helps bring the general public into it in a reasonable discussion way. So I think you have to have forums where you can talk to the general public. You want them always to be able to get it off their chest and feel like that they can have contact and talk to somebody uh, who will listen to them. Um, but you got to set it up to help them do that because their base is built upon the general public. You know, we all represent them. So we've got to have a way for them to communicate to us and have contact with us rather than misinformation they ought to get or uh, listen to the fights on the talk shows or listen to what they're fighting about uh, in Indianapolis or yeah. Congress. Everybody needs to set a tone and bring the general public into that tone. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That, that is your question? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's been great talking with you, and I think that uh, it's going to be a great addition to the project. So thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. You're most welcome. If you have any more questions, call me. All right. Sounds good. Will do. Okay. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.